Welcome to the Therapy Deconstructed Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bonnie Wims, therapist, coach, and a UK chartered counseling psychologist. So my mission here is to talk about therapy in a way that's easy to understand and to dispel any misunderstandings and rumors about what therapy is, who it's for, and who it's not for. This podcast is my way of deconstructing the conventional wisdom and the media narratives about therapy and explaining what's what. I will offer you the tools and support needed to live the life you've always dreamed of living. So together, we can use our resources and understanding to help you to take advantage of this beautiful thing and live a life with the most possibilities. So let's pull back this curtain and remove the mystery, the secrecy, and the stigma attached to the whole thing. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so excited. This is my second episode of my brand new podcast, Therapy Deconstructed, and thank you for joining me. I can't tell you how excited I am. If I could jump around, I would, but you would hear it in the microphone. So I'm sitting very still and very quietly, but I'm jumping inside. I'm so excited to really kick off the full first full episode of this podcast because I want to talk to you about misunderstandings and myths about therapy. And I really want to have a chance to speak directly to anyone who has questions or misunderstandings about what they think therapy is. My belief, my reason for doing this podcast is I want to tackle those myths and those misunderstandings because I believe those lead directly to the stigma. The less we understand about something, the more we maybe make things up. And there's a lot to be said about therapy that is good information for people to understand more about it. And it's not being said regularly, I think. You know, therapy is something that someone does in a very confidential, private way. So unless somebody who is in therapy chooses to speak up, which there are a lot of people, a lot more people now doing that, and I applaud that. But I think unless that happens um, more often, it's still, therapy is still shrouded in this secrecy, in this silence. And with that, that stigma is allowed to grow. It's allowed to fester. And people who maybe could really benefit from some help occasionally here or there don't do it because they're judging or they're afraid of being judged. It's a terrible, vicious cycle to have these misunderstandings permeate about therapy. And it's my job, I think, as a therapist, to help dispel the rumors, the myths, the misunderstandings. I wanted to talk to you about a bit of a funny story, which kind of illustrates misunderstanding that does exist out there. When I graduated with my doctorate, I went to school in London, England, and my brother and his wife just so generously flew all the way from Colorado to London, England, and they attended my graduation. It was just amazing that they did that. But when he arrived from the airport uh, and we met up with him, as a joke, my brother and sister-in-law had on foil hats. And most of you will probably get that, but you know the idea around the sense that somehow, now that I was a counseling psychologist and had graduated with my degree, that I could read his mind. 
And so he put on the foil hat to try to uh, prevent that. You know, we all laughed, and it was a good joke, and I didn't take offense. But where did that idea come from, do you suppose, where just because I had spent some time, five-plus years being educated, and a lot of work around learning the craft of being a therapist, just because I did that, that somehow now I had this capability to see inside and read uh, someone else's mind. Now, in therapy, you know, I think maybe it's come from a bit of a sense of, you know, we're trained to read body language. We're trained to look at uh, how a person is reacting and, and what they do when they are speaking and what they don't say. We are definitely trying to see outside of just the regular conversation. But reading minds is not something we know how to do, or we would try to do, in fact. To think that you could read someone's mind is actually a bit of a thinking trap. It's something that some of us who aren't psychologists think we can do. Have you ever had an argument with somebody where they said, I know what you're thinking? We like to think that we know what others are thinking. In fact, that's a lot of the reason for a lot of misunderstandings and arguments. Somebody assuming about someone else that they know what they're thinking, and therefore they know their motives. A lot of misunderstandings, much different than just about therapy, come from that perspective of inaccuracy. It's a waste of time to try to read somebody's mind, and uh, the good majority of the time we, we would get it wrong. So therapists don't try to read minds. In fact, we would actively discourage anyone from thinking that they could read someone's mind. But it was a fun little joke that illustrated a big misconception. And even if you don't believe that I could read your mind, you may believe that I could read you. And I think that's a sense of somebody, you know, maybe that's where some uncomfortableness comes from, is that I'll see through your, you know, maybe the brave face that you're putting on something or the lie that you're telling yourself about something. This doesn't come from some unique, special power that I was given on the day that I got my degree. What this comes from is the conversation with you, honest, reflective conversation, where I try to get people to be honest with themselves. The whole goal is for someone to be honest with themselves because, you know, to be honest, we do lie to ourselves a lot. We deceive ourselves or we dismiss our feelings. And so maybe some of this mind reading comes from this conception that we really do try to help you see yourself, you know, warts and all. And within that is maybe a deeper truth that you're, you haven't been uh, showing to the world or yourself. So that's, that's a big misconception, right, about the reading of the mind. So hopefully I've dispelled that one. Now, another one is a little bit more damaging, I think, and that's that only crazy, and I'm doing air quotes here, only crazy people have therapists. It's changing in the media. It's changing in movies and television shows for sure. But there is a perception, I believe, still, that therapy is something that's meant for somebody who is really, really sick. My first experience, honestly, of someone in therapy in the media, I remember as a child seeing 
Um, I'm not sure I saw the whole movie because it was seemed terrifying, but I believe I remember seeing scenes of the movie Sybil. And if any of you are out there, you know, of the older persuasion, as I am, you might remember that movie. It was definitely a fictional portrayal of somebody with many different personalities. Now, that's a pretty sexy topic, right? Somebody that has different personalities. So I think that was what um, they thought would, would, you know, encourage people to watch the movie. It was portrayed in such a terrifying way and portrayed in such an aggressive way that it got people's attention, but it also sort of settled, I think, in a lot of our minds. Oh, that's why people go to therapy. The therapy is for those people. Now, therapy can be for people with serious and chronic mental health issues. Absolutely. But it also can be for many of us who are just struggling with everyday issues. Things that don't end up warranting any diagnosis, don't maybe necessarily even require medication, or it may, but really it's about the day-to-day living and the challenges of that. Your personal experience, you know, your struggle in your life is relative to you. So whatever you find out to be an obstacle, whatever challenges you in your life, if it's troubling you enough that it seems to be preventing you from moving forward, then that's something that maybe therapy could benefit you. Um, You could possibly use it in a way that could help you get unstuck. That's certainly what I've done with a lot of people is just sort of help them talk it through with somebody who is non-judgmental, very much trained to be present with you exactly as you are in this moment and to help you try to understand what it is that's got you stuck, you know, that hamster wheel of thought that we can't get off of. So dispelling myth number two is that crazy people are the only ones that have therapists and to just sort of open it up to the population at large to know that there is help out there. There is help out there if you just find yourself struggling with anxiety, depression, just the low mood. You don't understand and you don't quite know how to get yourself out of it. The third myth I'd like to talk about is that talking to a therapist means you're broken. I've heard that one before and I've heard people who have come to me for therapy after spending a whole lot of time wasting a lot of their life trying to talk themselves into trying therapy because they were afraid to admit to this idea of being broken. I'm going to quote Brene Brown right now and probably going to do it many more times throughout this podcast career of mine because I love her and her experience and her work around vulnerability is top-notch. And she quotes about vulnerability. She says, vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. Vulnerability is not weakness. It's our greatest measure of courage. And if I was going to get a very long tattoo somewhere, that would be what I would get, I think, because it's beautifully written. And it's, it's just a very succinct description of the amazing and strong and courageous people that I meet in my practice. See, therapy 
can be there for somebody who feels broken. It can be there for somebody who feels they have no way out and no nowhere to turn and they're not sure of their next move. Absolutely, it can work for them, but it can also work for you if you're not on your knees. You know, it can work before you get to your knees. You find that life is hard and that things are happening that aren't working out. Therapy can help you before it gets to a point where you don't know the next move. I like to think of therapy as some uh, maintenance program sometimes for your mental health. And think about it. You go to the gym, or in my case, I have a Peloton. You go to the doctor and you get your physicals and you go to the dentist and you get your teeth cleaned and you take care of your physical health because you want to live a long time and you want to be healthy. You want to be healthy. You want to be able to play with your grandchildren or you want to go on vacation or you want to travel the world. Whatever goals you have, you take care of your physical health so that you can do those things. Why we don't think about taking care of our mental health in the same way is a mystery to me, and I think something that we need to talk about more often, and we need to encourage and let people know that it's not any different. You know, our thinking, our thinking, we spend all day, every day thinking, why wouldn't we want to work on that? Why wouldn't we want to look at that and try to think about what we're thinking how we're thinking, how it then impacts how we behave. I think that's probably another misconception that I didn't plan on talking about, but now that we're here, people don't realize, I think, that our behavior comes so much from our thoughts, you know? Our thoughts are developed from a lot of what's happened to us, in my first quick episode, if you haven't heard it, you could go back and listen. It's really, it's only about six minutes long. I read an excerpt from a chapter I wrote for a book about my own childhood, growing up with an abusive alcoholic father and the understanding that I then had of my world and myself as a result. My thinking was impacted by the way in which I was raised just like you, just like anyone. But because it was dysfunctional, because it was violent, because it was frightening, you know, I grew up with some coping strategies that uh, definitely stayed with me for a while. I needed to understand why I was always on high alert. I needed to understand why I would get anxious for no reason. I needed to understand that why relationships with men scared me. These are all things that I had to work out in therapy, and it was the way I thought about those things that I had to challenge. And I thought about those things in ways that weren't helpful to me because of what happened to me. Not because I'm broken, not because there's something seriously wrong with me, just because of the way I was raised and the way I understood that, the way I made sense of that. Some of that sense was not helpful to me as I got older. So I had to understand that and sort of untangle that, I guess. And then to teach myself how to think about things in a healthier way, move away from the trauma so that I could then understand myself in a different way. Now, my childhood was traumatic to some degree, 
but even people who were raised in a perfectly happy and loving home still have life happen to them. And life can be unfair. Life can be frightening. We can be treated badly. We can be treated wonderfully. But life still happens to us. And sometimes we can't quite square what's happened to us with the way that we see things. Or we can't quite get ourselves clear to make that change. People speak a lot about anxiety nowadays. Has that come from a post-COVID world? Probably. We all went through something quite majorly. And so for us to not think that our thinking has been impacted by that and therefore then our behavior, it doesn't make any sense, does it? Of course we've been impacted. So we can just be impacted and let our behavior be what our behavior is. Or we can stop and look at it because don't we all want to be the most happy and fulfilled that we can? Or do we just want things to just happen to us? I think I prefer being a bit more in control of my thinking, you know, really watching how it is that I play things out in my mind so that I can be the best best version of myself and show up as a wife, mother, psychologist, friend, sister. You know, it's, it's something that I think thinking about or thinking is just a requirement the way I see it. Now, I know there's an argument that may stop you if you're thinking about therapy. You still may be thinking, okay, that's what you say, Bonnie, but I think it still shows weakness. Or you might think, I can handle my problems on my own at therapist. I don't need that. Common thing people say is, you know, I have a best friend. I can just talk to her. Or we say things like, you know, I got a bottle of wine. That's my therapist. I exercise and feel better after. And all of those things are true. And they're, they're not, you know, unless you drink a bottle of wine a little too often, those things are fine. Use them. Use your coping strategies the way that they work for you. But if it starts to feel like you're stuck in a cycle and you can't get yourself out, maybe a therapist is the place for you to go. Another argument I think people say it's not bad enough. I mean, it's not that bad. Therapy, God. Just so just thinking about what that says, you know, it's kind of back to the I'm not on my knees, so I don't need it. Well, what if we can help you not? go to your knees, you know? And the last one is that I can't afford it. And I'll be the last person to tell you that it isn't expensive. But I also know that I've spoken with a lot of people who have said they can't afford it and they make different choices with their money. You know, they make different choices with about what they want to spend that money on. So yes, yes, it costs money. Yes, it is uh, a difficult thing to access. All of those things are true. But does that mean you shouldn't try? Does that mean you shouldn't prioritize your mental health? I don't think so. So just to kind of round up here, one in eight people worldwide report a mental health issue at some point in their life. That's around, you know, 970 million people worldwide. That's a lot of people. So you're not alone. There's no shame in it. There's a lot of people. Chances are wherever you are. There's another person near you who suffers from some challenge, whether it be anxiety, sleeplessness, low mood, some depression. 
relationship challenges. It's everywhere, and we're not unique. We all struggle with it at some point. And the good news is 75% of people who do try therapy report that they get some relief, that they feel the effectiveness of it. 75%, which is a good percentage, and I'm not sure, you know, where those numbers exactly come from for everyone here that I come in contact with. But I do know that it's worth trying if you're stuck, if you feel helpless or helpless, it's worth trying. I'll leave you with a quote from Carl Jung. And he says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Thanks for joining me today and I'll see you next month. Thank you so much for listening in. I hope you've learned a thing or two that you can apply today. To explore further or to get in touch with me, just visit my website at bonniewims.com. There you can book a complimentary 30-minute online video session to ask me any questions and determine if working together feels right for you. Or you can submit your questions about therapy and I'll do my best to offer answers on an upcoming episode. Remember, therapy might not be for everyone, but it may be right for you. Thank you.